Praise the Lord, everyone. So it's been about a little over six weeks or so since I've been up in the pulpit. <laughs> so we're studying on a Sunday morning, getting ready to get up in the pulpit. So we're going to go to Exodus chapter 17. That's where we're going to start. And if anybody knows me at all, I don't stay in one place. So I jump around in the scriptures. And I've always said that part of what God has led me to is he takes me through the scriptures because what we need to know is biblically, biblically based. And if I'm going to tell you something, I'm going to show it to you in the scriptures as well. Because I want you to know that it is biblically based. What God has given me is in the Bible. So we're going to start in Exodus chapter 17. And it was uh, interesting last week when Sister Carolyn was up here teaching last week. She uh, was in Song of Solomon. And I just flipped over a chapter from where she was. And I ended up in chapter 2, verse 4. And it says, he took me to his banqueting table. His banner over me is love. So I posted that last Sunday on Facebook. It has stayed in my mind and my heart all week. Then the song came to me, the children's song. He is mine and I am his. His banner over me is love. He is mine and I am his. His banner over me is love. He is mine and I am his. His banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. So that got into my spirit. And let me tell you, by yesterday, it's in Tony's spirit too. Because <laughs> that is just over and over and over all week. And then I found a... a YouTube version of it, a remix, and it's kind of more of a contemporary adult version instead of the kids' version. And I'll tell you what, I posted it on our page. If you haven't heard it, you need to go to this YouTube and listen to it. It is magnificent, absolutely magnificent. And it just stirred my spirit even more, and I found that. And then Friday morning, I, I listen to teachings while I'm at work. I have, I'm blessed that I can sit at a computer, I can pull up YouTube, podcasts, whatever I want on my computer, pop in my headphones, and while I'm working, I can listen to the Word of God. I'm very blessed by that. So I'm listening to a podcast Friday morning, and what does the podcast come about? His banner. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Lord, got it. <laughs> got it. His banner. And so he led me in here to Exodus 17. I'm going to start at verse 1. And it says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim, Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And at this point in time, they are just months out of Egypt, right? They are just months out of Egypt. They've come out of Egypt. They have crossed the Red Sea on dry land, okay? On dry land. It wasn't muddy. God parted the waters, and there wasn't mud left. He dried up all the water. He dried it up all out of the dirt. It was no longer mud. It was dirt. They crossed on dry land. And we did a study, and... Tony's heard this many, many times. We did a study for months back at Gateway when I was teaching the, the, uh, about middle school children. And we studied the children of Israel beginning to end. 
And we calculated that there could be possibly over 3 million people come out of Egypt. Because when you take the count of the men that they tell you in the Bible, then you add in women and you add in children, there could have been over three, up to and over 3 million people come out of Egypt at that time. That's a lot of people. These people don't move quickly. You know, it says, I, I was looking up today to see how long it should take to get from Egypt to Canaan. And they were talking somewhere around 11 days. It's an 11-day journey. It took them months. <laughs> well, initially, it took them months to get there because you're talking 3 million people have to pack up and have to leave and all have to move together. And, and then they have to stop and then they have to unpack and they have to put up their tents so they can sleep. They have to cook. They have to eat. It took them months to move. I mean, when they came to sin the wilderness of sin, it was in the 15th month, 15th day of the second month after they left Egypt. If you go back. So it took them months to get here. This is a lot of people. And here they are. They have went to Rephidim. i having trouble saying the word. Rephidim. And there was no water. This is not the first time they've been without water. Not at all. In the first instance... They were at Merah, and God told Moses to take a branch of a tree, throw it in the river, and they had water. And then they come upon the, the wells, and they camped by the wells. But here they are without water, and they're like, what are we going to do? You brought us out here. And he goes on to say, and the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, wherefore is it that thou hast brought us up out of the Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst. We called them ungrateful Israelites. Uh, exactly. But you know what? I know something. I stop and think about this. And, and I, after studying this for so long. And we, we named them that with the, the kids. So that they could understand what was going on. As we go, went down every path in the scripture. But I stop and think and I compare that back to us. Are we ungrateful Christians? How, how many have seen miracles? Uh, you know, I, I, tell, I tell of growing up, went to Jordan Pentecostal Church as a kid with my father and my mother. I can remember going, his brother Ailes was pastor there when I was growing up. And my dad had, had only, when I was a child, he'd only been a minister for a few years at that point in time. And he was really good friends with Brother and Sister Ailes. And I can remember going there to fellowship meetings and different things and church services. And I remember this one service we had and the place was full. And this lady in the back, and I can't remember who she was. It's somebody I would have known when I was a kid. But this lady in the back had a big goiter. And I know goiters, and I understand that because the disease that I was diagnosed with, Graves' disease is what causes goiters. The overactive thyroid will cause the thyroid to swell and that causes the goiter on your neck. I understand that, what that is. Now, I didn't back then, right? So I watched this lady, I've seen her many, many times and she went up to get prayer, having an excellent service. Everything's going on, jumping, shouting, running the aisles, everything, you know. Man, you, I can remember those days. <laughs> Old Pentecost apostolic, hair up. That was beehive days. Okay? Hair up and those women get shouting. The bobby pins went everywhere. <laughs> hair went down. 
<laughs> so I remember we was having a really good service and she went up to get prayer and we always sit in the back. My mom, my mom did not like to be up anywhere where she would be noticed. So we sat in the back of the church always. And we're sitting there and I watched her go up and then they prayed and they had service and I'm standing there, you know, sitting there, whatever I was doing. And I watched this lady come back and there's no goiter on her neck. I was, I was a young child. I mean, I witnessed that with my own eyes. But did that keep me from turning from God when I was a teenager? Did that keep me from walking the wrong path? Does that keep me from asking God sometimes, why are you doing this to me? Don't we all do it from time to time? We are just like the children of Israel. Sometimes we are so ungrateful. They had watched that Red Sea part. They had watched all the water dry up. They had been led by a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. This is just after what Sister Caroline was, Carolyn was talking about last week with the manna coming down. When the manna came down and the quail was come down to feed them. This was just after that took place. They had had the bitter water and Mara turned to sweet water. And they'd been taken to the, the wells and camped by the wells. They had all, all these things. They had watched the ten plagues take place in Egypt. They had watched the firstborn children be taken. But not in their households because they had obeyed God. And here they are. You brought us out here to die. We're going to die of thirst. Ungrateful Israelites. If, you, if we go back one chapter or two chapters to Exodus 15, I'm not going to take you too far to start off with. It says in verse 24, And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Here is another time. And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And he said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and wilt give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. He had told them this. <coughs> Two chapters later, what are they doing? Complaining again. Right? And goes on verse 4 and says, And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. You know, I was thinking back, and I'll tell you, I have so many different things going in my mind. Uh, we've been doing our Bible study on Tuesday night in the book of Job. So I've been teaching and studying on Job there. I'm doing a podcast on the fruit of the Spirit right now. So I've been teaching and studying there. And then this morning I went on to his banner. So I've got like three different teachings and studyings going on at the same time. So I may cross over a bit. <laughs> but I was thinking back to in some of our teachings, uh, on our study on 
Job on Tuesday night, we were talking about the children of Israel. And one of the, the times we were talking about is when they finally came to Canaan. And they sent the spies into the land. And they came back with word. They came back with the, the fruit. And they came back with word. And they persuaded the people that they could not go. They persuaded them that they weren't strong enough to beat the inhabitants of the land. And one of the things God said at that point in time was, why do these people provoke me? And when I, you know, this is, that's much later on from where we're at now. This is at the very beginning stages of their journey. But even this point in time, they were provoking God. They were murmuring against Moses and Aaron, which in turn was murmuring against God. I'll, I'll warn you right now, you murmur against your leadership, you're murmuring against God. You murmur against those who have rule over you in the spirit, you murmur against God. So be careful what you do. Be prayerful in what you do. Make sure you're being led by God and the spirit in what you do. These men and these women were murmuring against Moses. And I think back to what God said at that time. He said, why do these people provoke me? And I wonder sometimes, should we be asking ourselves, why do I provoke God? Why do I provoke him? Do you have an answer for that? Think about it. The flesh just wants to come out. And that's where I'm into the fruit of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit of God. You are led by the Spirit. You put that fleshly man down. It's the flesh that provokes God. The fleshly man, and we are flesh. We cannot live 100% in the Spirit. You know, that's something that I was taught by Brother Pat many, many, many times. If we were 100% in the Spirit at all times, we would be no earthly good. No earthly good. Because we would be on a plane and a level that is not representative of what is going on in this earth. We have to come back into our flesh, and the Spirit is subject unto the prophet. Right? Your, your spirit man is subject unto you. You can quench that spirit man down at any time. You can pull him back. You can bring him in. And there's times we have to come back into our flesh to be able to work, to be able to walk, to be able to do the day-to-day -day things. We are guided by the spirit. We are praying continually without ceasing, as the, spirit, as the scripture tells us. But we have to rein that spirit in, and we have to walk in the flesh. And the flesh does not like the spirit. It is enemy with the spirit. It wants the spirit man to go away. Because the flesh wants what it wants. It wants more. It wants more. It wants more. And every time the children of Israel turned around, they wanted more. We go on to verse 5. And it says, The Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people. And take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river, take it in thine hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, 
that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Second time he has brought them water. First time it was in a river that was already there. But the second time he is at a rock. And God commands him to take the staff, the rod. And you got to remember little background on this this staff this rod you know when Moses was back at the burning bush he was like how how are the people going to believe me essentially I'm, I'm doing a lot of paraphrasing here how are the people going to believe me that I've been sent by you and what was one of the things he told Moses you see that rod in your hand throw it on the ground and he threw it on the ground what happened turned into a snake and I'm sure he probably jumped a bit. Because if I threw down a rod and it became a snake, I'd probably jump too. I don't know about you all, but I probably would. It would just startle me a bit. Not what I was expecting. Nope. I expect to throw it down. I expect to hear a thump as it hit the ground. Not a sss. And then God tells him, grab it by the tail. Right? Pick it up. And what happens when he grabs it by the tail and picks it up? It becomes a rod again. This rod then did many things in Egypt, right? I believe if I, when I looked this up, I believe there was eight times in which the rod was used in a spiritual way. There was six times when it was used by uh, Caleb, I believe after him but with with Moses I believe there was eight times and so he used it to change the water right he he threw it down again as a snake there was many things he did this rod became a symbol or as sister Mary alluded to and spoke on earlier a banner a standard you know, I was, I was sitting there going, you're, you're right. You're right there on my message today. <laughs> Just confirmation. The standard, raising a standard, a standard, a banner. That, let's, let's talk about what a standard or a banner actually is. I, I see them hung up around in here. You can see banners hung up in basketball, football, all different types of sports. But most importantly, it came from a time when they would go to war and they would have different companies. If you go back into the children of Israel, their tribes, each of their tribes had a banner. And they would stake their banner wherever they set up camp and everybody in that tribe knew where to go. They knew that was the rallying point for that tribe. Okay, the, the, ban the banner holder has staked the banner over here. I see our banner. You know, they've all kind of, you know, some, some old people, older people. <laughs> I'm getting there, older people. They probably lagged back a bit, right? Went a little slower. You talk to three million probably people. So you, you, and then you had people that, you know, were friends with other groups of people and other tribes. So they wanted to walk with them a while and go talk and, and converse and fellowship with them. You had the young people. Well, what did they probably do? They're probably out in front running ahead, weren't they? Right? So the standard bearer 
would find a, a spot for them all to, to set up camp. And what he would do is he would stake that banner right in the middle. And so everyone, no matter whether they were in the front or they were in the back or they were somewhere in between, they could find, oh, there's our banner. Well, I'll see you later. That, we got to go over there. That's where we're camping for the night. That was the standard. Then they used it as they went to war. They had their companies and their groups, and they trained together and, and various things. They knew how each other worked. They could use each other's strengths to their advantage. So if one could shoot an arrow, the other may use a sword. So they would come together, and their groups were trained and worked together. So they would have their banner a standard and they would go and that would go with them and they would know where their company was they would know where their fellow soldiers were and it would go out in front of them as war in war and as those standards moved forward in the battle you knew that they were taking the land that they were winning and then if you saw those standards come back you knew that they were losing you could tell how the battle was taking, was going by where those standards were in the field. I'm a little bit of a history buff when it comes to wars. I like civil wars and I like knowing and learning and the history of all of them. You wouldn't think that about me, right? A <laughs> little tidbit, now you know. <laughs> but that's what happened. You could tell how the battle was going by where the standard was. Okay? So this rod that, that Moses had became somewhat of the banner or the standard for the whole children of Israel, right? So he had taken it now and was told to smite the rock, that God was going to go before him, and he was to hit the rock, and water was to come out. Well, what does that remind me of? Jesus Christ on the cross, him getting jabbed in the side and the water and the blood coming out because it says here that the water would save them right so what happened to the water that came out of Jesus side? it saved us all right so this is just a type and shadow I've been I've been teaching and explaining types and shadows in uh, our Bible study and it's just it keeps coming every time I look into the scriptures and I see something I'm like oh now I see it. I see it. And there's, a, there's at least one more in here that I'm going to share with you that just was a revelation to me today. So here they are. And it says, verse 7, And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the children, because the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? You know, I, I just, just back it reminds me of this day and age. People who have known the Lord, who have seen his glory, seen his work, seen miraculous works take place, and they go out in the world and it's like, is there really a God? I, I've heard it from, with my own ears. It is amazing. It says, then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Okay, Amalek. I wanted to take a few minutes to talk about this. Amalek, there is an Amalek that is a descendant of Esau. But if you read the various commentaries and you look up the research, they do not believe this Amalek is the same Amalek descendant. This is a different, because this one was in the south, whereas the other, 
the descendant of Esau was in a different area. So any way you go about it, it was an enemy. Okay, we're going to turn over to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 25. I'll give you a minute to get there. Starting at verse 17. It says, remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way. And this is Moses speaking to the children. Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when ye were come out forth out of Egypt. How he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou wast faint and weary, and he feared not God. So in this the scriptures we just read in Exodus, all it says is, then came Amalek. Doesn't explain any more in Exodus. To understand it, you have to go to Deuteronomy. Because here is where Moses talks about Amalek and what happened. He gives us about three more scriptures on it that gives us a little bit more information on what took place that day. I'm big about movies. Those who have heard me before, set a movie in your head. Just like if you're reading a book, you get, it, you get the imagination going and you get the movie in your head. And I, have, I get a movie going in my head and I want to picture the scene. If I can picture the scene, then I'm drawn into it. I feel like I'm there. Then I understand it better. And I, I'm pretty sure most everybody feels the same way most of the time. Here you have three million people coming across the land. And all of a sudden, this enemy, whether they had an ought against Israel or not, nowhere does it say that they were provoked by Israel. No, you know, Israel just came out of Egypt. They hadn't even trained to fight yet, right? They've just, they're just months out of Egypt. They've been slaves for 400 years. So they did not provoke Amalek. They could have had some sort of treaty with another group, knowing that they were heading into their territory and they were to stop anybody that came. You know, we don't know what, what it was. I can guess. But we don't know. But there's three million people going across the land. And Amalek, the armies of Amalek, come out to attack the Israelites. And where does he attack? He attacks them in the rear. Now, that's why I said what I did earlier leading up to this. The older people were probably in the back of the pack because they moved a little slower than the younger people. The enemy knew that. And where did he attack them? They atta he attacked them in their weakest point. Behind them. Now they had just been filled with water, right? So I, I stopped and I thought about this. And I, I thought about it really long and hard. Because what does the enemy do to us? Our enemy, Satan. I, I'm going to call him out by name. Because to... To be able to fight an enemy, you have to know an enemy. 
you have to understand the enemy. You have to understand how he works to be able to fight him. <coughs> the enemy will attack us at our weakest points. Satan will come and attack us at our weakest point when we are the weakest. These people had went days without water. They had been weakened physically. They had been given life-saving water and were on their way to healing in their body, but they were not yet fully healed. So they were still in the period of healing, of restoring themselves, when the enemy came and attacked them and also attacked them in their weakest point. Satan will do this to you. Every time. Every time. Amalek came and attacked. Going back to verse 9, back in Exodus, it says, And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men, and go out, fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek, and Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. We know who Moses is. We know who Aaron is. We know who Joshua is. Now who's her? Anybody? Uh, me either. I didn't. I'll, 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 say, I'll tell you that right now. I was like, who's her? <laughs> if, if her's name is in here, he must be important. But who's her? I know all these other folks. They don't know her. Well, you can write this down. I'm not going to go there. But in 1 Chronicles 4 and 4, it talks about her. And it names her as the father of Bethlehem. The father of Bethlehem. If you go into Jewish tradition and you go to Josephus, his uh, accounts that he wrote up, his historical accounts, um, Josephus will tell you that he was married to Miriam. And that is the Jewish tradition, that her was Moses' brother-in-law. Which would make sense why Aaron and her went with Moses, right? Brother and brother-in-law. So, just a little side note, side information. I like to share things I find. Because you know what? When you know these things, it empowers you more. The more knowledge, the fear of God, the start, the start of knowledge is the fear of God, right? The beginning of knowledge. The more knowledge you have, the more fear and reverence and love for God you will have. Okay? So her, here's her. And I want you to picture this. Moses is telling Joshua, go pick you out men. You're going to go fight tomorrow. These are, they've been slaves. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll go. And they go, and, Joshua, and Moses is like, her and Aaron and I will go up on that hill over there. You're going to go out in the valley with your men, up against the Amalekites, right? <clears throat> We're going to go up on that hill over there. It says, so Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek, and Moses, Aaron, and her went up to the top of the hill. Okay? And it came to pass, when Moses held up his hand, okay, that Israel prevailed. 
and we let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. The standards were out in the field. The standards of each individual grouping, of each individual tribe, because he picked people from the tribes, and I'm, they had their standard bearer, and they were going out in the field. So you could watch the action take place, and I'm sure the children of Israel are all over there on the sidelines watching this, right? And they're watching for their tribe. They're watching, where, where's our tribe? Where's our tribe? Where's our guys at? Where are they at? Where are they at? Oh, look, they're moving forward. They're moving forward. They're moving forward. Oh, no, now they're moving backwards. Oh, no. And they look up. They're watching the field. They're watching the standards move back and forth. They look up, and they see Moses' hand up. And as Moses' hand is up, the standards move forward. And as Moses' hand starts to come down, the standards move back. Okay? As I was studying this, and this is another one of those types and shadows that, that kind of popped out at me. There's God the Father in heaven who is directing all this through, through Moses, right? So you have God the Father. Then you have Moses up on the hill between them and God. And, and I'm sure he's up there in prayer, an in intercessory prayer, right? That is part of what he's doing up on that hill. And then you have Joshua out in the field fighting. For us, it's God the Father in heaven directing. It's Jesus Christ above us intercessing and the Holy Spirit out in front of us fighting. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, just like God, Moses, and Joshua. It is a type and a shadow. It is a promise to us that we have a God in heaven who will direct our path. We have Jesus Christ who is always on the throne, intercessory prayer for us in everything we do. And we have the Spirit who will take us, lead us, and fight for us in front of us. Amen. So here they are. But the difference between Moses and Jesus is Moses is a man. Right? Moses, Moses was just a man, just like we are. And you take, you take something, I mean, I know that he walked days upon days, and he had a rod in his hand, and that staff was always going with him, and he had used that staff because he had heard a cheat to do the things that he needed to do, and he was probably very agile with that staff. But you take that staff that was being used as a standard, a rallying point, a, a point that they could all focus on and know that this was the work of God in front of them. And he was holding that staff up. You just try holding your hand up for more than two minutes. Just, just your hand. You, you start to feel those muscles start to quake. And your hand might start doing this up in the air, and you're going, you're you're putting everything you can into your hand, and you're trying to keep it up, and then eventually, and you think if you had something in your hand, half that time it's going to start coming down. He was a man. Jesus Christ was a man. He did walk on this earth. He feels our affirmities. He knows what we went through. He knows what Moses felt that day. 
And his arms kept coming down because guess what? His body got weak. And as his arm came down, the standards came backwards. And Amalek was overtaking the children of Israel. And it says, but Moses' hands were heavy and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon and Aaron and her stayed up his hands. The one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And I thought of this. Took me back to when Tony and I, the weekend that we rededicated our lives back to God. It was at an event called Breaking Down the Walls that Gateway had hosted. Sister Julie Laporta had actually put it all together. And it was at the fairgrounds. And it was a what Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday thing that they did. And they had different types of music and preaching each night to kind of, you know, bring in the different churches is what they were trying to do. The, the different areas and, and the different um, age groups as well. And this has been 14 years ago. So we went. <coughs> we went on a Friday night because it was supposed to be bluegrass and it was Tony's birthday. And he loves bluegrass. And he never did hear his bluegrass. <laughs> it wasn't what we expected. It was good. But I talked him into going. I've been kind of going off and on with my mom and kids. Our kids got my, my mom to take them first. And then I would kind of go with them. They did vacation Bible school, and we ended up at church for that and ended up in a church service and, you know, just so on and so on. And I've been kind of going here and there and, yeah, kind of, you know, hadn't really committed one way or another what I was doing yet. And I talked to him into going. We went. So the next night is supposed to be more of a rock style. We were all for that. We were in our 20s. Yes. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, we like that. So we went back Saturday night. We wanted to hear what was going on. Right? It was a little far out there for us for church music, but that was okay. But what was more importantly, you all know Sister Phyllis Finley. She preached that night. And she, at the end, we, you know, everybody stood and she was asking if people needed prayer and this and that. And she, she had asked, and it was all the way across the show arena, chairs set up. We were on this end, so we could, like, duck out real quick, bail quick. As Tony said, bail quickly. <laughs> and Brother Ronnie was somewhere in the middle area. And I remember that she asked if anyone need prayer, and Brother Ronnie comes up and immediately hands up both hands in the air, right in front of her. She sidestepped him, went around, and came straight down and pointed to Tony and goes, you, come here. He takes off his hat. And he goes around the end, and, he, and she looked at him, and she started to walk away. She turned around, bring her with you, too. And he grabs my hand, and there away we went. <laughs> but there's Brother Ronnie still standing down there. With his hands up in the air. With his hands up still in the air. She prayed for us. Tony ended up in, in the sawdust. <laughs> I mean, probably 10, 15 minutes or something. So, you know, right there with us. He's still over there with his hands up in the air. And I don't remember who it was. I know my mom tell, would tell the story. 
I wish she was still alive so I could <laughs> get it from her. She, she would tell about it. She's like, I kept looking over and going, poor Brother Ronnie. Somebody needs to help Brother Ronnie. And finally, somebody went over there and took his arm and put their hands under it and give him rest. Because it wasn't meant for his arms to go down. He was still standing there because what he needed, he needed. And his hands were still up and he was still there. But somebody went over there and held up his arms until they came and they met his need. So what did Aaron and her, what were their jobs in this? They were to be there to support him. When his arms got heavy, when he could no longer physically hold himself out up, they brought a rock and they put it up behind him and they set him down and they put him on a level where they could help him and they took his arms, one on one side, one on the other side and held it up and as long as his arms were up, the battle was being won. And let me tell you, as long as you keep your arms up, the battle will be won. And I wanna tell you something else, you need to be helping your brother and your sister. You need to be coming up beside them and holding their arms up. When they are too weak to fight, when they are too weak to go forward, you need to be holding them up in prayer you need to be lifting them up you are their helper you are the one who can keep them going in the battle that has been on my heart all week long don't give up don't give up and when you feel like you're going to give up your brother and sister need to come up beside you and help you to keep going that's what this thing is all about. We are not in this thing to do it by ourselves. And let me tell you something. I, I've bared my soul this week, this past week or so, on the podcast and everywhere else. Everybody in the world probably knows this by now. Uh, we've hit Egypt, Israel, Egypt, Ireland, Netherlands, and India so far. I'm like, I've, I've hit the world. <laughs> I, I feel the Great Commission right there. You know, it's, it's awesome. But I bared my soul because a few months back, back in the, in the fall, and I'm going to tell it, tell it all to you, I hit a depression. I hit, I hit a deep, dark depression. One I'd never been in before in my life. You know, this past year has been a lot of changes for Tony and our, I. Christopher has been out of the house since he was 16. He had moved basically in with my mom, but he'd been across the street. You know, I was still responsible for him. You know, he may not have slept in my home, but I was still responsible for him until he turned 18 and he went off to the Marines. And when he came back, my mom became responsible for him. And then when my mom died, we became responsible back again. Okay? That's kind of how it worked. Him and his girlfriend got a trailer and moved off to Mooresville. I've spent 25 years, 26 years with my baby boy right there, right where I could get him. Now he's gone. That was in the spring, in, in middle year. Our daughter says, well, you know, she comes back from Washington, went out and visited a boy that she had met online. Now is her boyfriend. She comes back. A month later or so, we've been talking about moving her into the house that Christopher just moved out of so she could start working her way on her own she comes up 
I'm moving to Washington. Washington State. Not D.C. State. She left two days after we went on vacation to Florida. Oh, this mom didn't take it well. <laughs> mom didn't take it well. And then there was other things that was taking place in our lives because God was working in us at that point in time in this fall area, trying to prepare us and get us ready to, to make a, a move. I didn't like it. I am, I am a creature of habit. I like my stuff to happen a certain way all the time, every day, in a certain order. Yeah. <laughs> my week goes a certain way. You know, I, I'm an accountant, okay? I, I'm an accounts payable manager. So here's what happens. I go to work on Monday. I have a cash requirements request to pull together. I know I'm going to pull everything together, and I'm going to set it up, and I'm going to get my, my request together for the week. Then on Tuesday, I kind of get everything caught up from the weekend. And on Wednesday, we talk about the request. We go over it. We talk about what the cash forecast is like. And we figure out, can we pay this this week? Can we go ahead with these numbers? Is everything good? Okay, it's good. I build my request. Thursday morning, I go to work. I do my request. I do my payment run. I send my wires. And I do it in a certain order, too. I send my, my foreign, foreign wires first and my foreign ACH. Then I do my regular domestic ACHs. And then after I get those all sent out to be approved and released, then I do my checks. And then I get them put in the mail. And then everything gets put together and ready to be filed. And on Friday, I get called back up from what I've been missing the last two or three days. <laughs> Every week. <laughs> that is my work week. My life is like that. So when God was setting us up for a move, things were just going crazy. And I got in a depression. The only one that I talked to during this time was really my husband. And I knew my husband was lifting me up in prayer, but there was others out there who could see something wasn't right. And if it hadn't been for those brothers and sisters who saw those things happening and they come up beside me, unbeknownst to me, I didn't even know it was taking place, but unbeknownst to me, come up beside me and they were lifting my arms up and holding my arms up when I could not hold my arms up myself, sister. There was times that I, my head was hanging so low that I just didn't know that I could take another step. I was still doing the work of God. I was still doing everything that I knew I should do because guess what? I knew I should be doing it. But I just didn't know if I could make it. Well, that rod of Moses is a standard that tells me you can make it. That there are people that are around you who love you even when you don't know that they do. They will be there to hold your arms up. To hold your arms up and to get you through whatever it is you're going through. In verse 13, and it says, And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi, which is the Lord is my banner. Because at that point in time, he had proven to them that he was the banner for them. He was the standard for them. That if they looked upon him as the rallying point, they would never fail. And I want to uh, leave you with Psalms 
chapter 20. I'm going to read this scripture. Because <clears throat> I was going to, uh, I was looking through and, and trying to find some other references to, to a banner in the Bible. And this was one of the, one of the few that there was in here. And when I read these scriptures and thinking about what all had went on in my life in just the last six months, you know, God, as you can see, God, God moved us, right? You know, we, we said it wasn't our decision. It was God's decision. We just had to come to the realization of God's decision. And God was moving us into something else. And now we are, you know, we've got a Bible study going on. We've got a podcast being going on. We've got a website. We are trying to reach those people. And please pray for us because what part of what we're doing is trying to reach those people who normally can't be in a service, in a regular service, that want have a heart after God, that want to know God. Because there's ones we know, like there's one that has a son who is disabled and she doesn't get attend a service very often. And if she does, sometimes he doesn't want to stay. So she has to go. She cares for him. Well, she's told me, she said, keep them coming. We're listening. Keep them coming. We're listening. And we just heard a report back last week from one of the ladies coming to our Bible study group that said she works for clients, elderly clients, and she said she'd been telling one of her women about this and about the website and the podcast, and she wanted to know more. She wanted her to show her because that way she could listen too. So to please pray about that God moved us. So as I was thinking through all of this, I come to Psalms 20, and it says, The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of God, the name of the God of Jacob, defend thee. Send thee help from the sanctuary, and strengthen thee out of Zion. Remember all thy offerings, and accept thy burnt sacrifice, Selah. Grant thee according to thine own heart, and fulfill all thy counsel. We will rejoice in thy salvation, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. That Lord fulfill all thy positions. Now know that I, the Lord, saveth his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. Let the king hear us when we call. Praise the Lord. Well, if you didn't find something in that message. Yet, we all find ourselves at some point in time when the most difficult thing in life to do is to move and to change. Most of us don't like change. We like to talk about change. We like to think about change. But making the change never comes without changing. <laughs> It, it seems like a sacrifice. You know, I had times in my life where um, I made changes. And uh, um, 
I had to step back from ministries. I had to step back from churches. And I had to do all kinds of things like that that I had to go through to be what I am and who I am today. And some people thought this and they thought that. But the reality is, is when a person can say, I'm fine with this with the Lord. I'm at peace with the Lord. Then really, it's not anybody else's business. If they can be at peace with God with it, then so be it, you know. Um, and I had to go through some things like that, and and I had to have my peace with the Lord. And, and I went through a lot of times, and I'll never forget one time I was riding in the car, and I was heading up to church one morning, and, and the Lord, I was going through a, a battle of this decision, that decision. And the Lord had to tell me the same thing that he told Paul. My grace is sufficient. And I had to accept. And that's when it, when it, when I finally became free to make decisions and make choices was that when I realized that I was in an impossible choice situation. Whatever choice I made, God's grace had to be sufficient because there wasn't, sometimes there is. Most things in our life, there is this decision that you make that's black and white. Then there's some decisions that you need the grace of God for because it's not as black and white as you would like for it to be. Whether it's because of your circumstances or decisions you've already made or whatever, but it's just not as black and white. And you sit and you start weighing out these things. And finally, you just have to look up to the Lord and say, I trust you. And you walk out on faith and do what you're going to do. Amen. But bless God. That was an awesome message. And um, a lot of meat in that message. And, you know, we're no different than what, they had to go through. You got to go through things in your personal life. We had to go through things in our spiritual, in our church life, just like the children of Israel. And we become impatient. We become wanting things to be something that they're not. Instead of trying to accept, this is what I have to work with. And now I'm going to believe God for this to move forward. Amen. And believing and trusting that his ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. I'm sure that the children of Israel thought, yeah, you're going up on a mountain and we're going down here to fight. At that time, they weren't battle ready, as she said. Sometimes we're not battle ready or we don't think we are. But you don't have to be. Amen. Just like he proved with David, just like he proved with Gideon, just like he proved with Moses and the children of Israel time and time again, that he, he fights the battle for his people. If we walk in his statues and we walk in belief and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has already fought the battle. He says, yea, you are more than conquerors through him that has loved you. Amen. Abraham only had two sons, but yet he wants you to remember that he rose up a nation, several nations out of that one man. Amen. Bless the Lord.
And he wants to work a work in each and every one of you. He's going to rise up nations of Christians out of every single one of you. Amen. He is going to rise up a body for himself that shall fight and fight and fight and shall never give up. Amen. You do not bear fruit by your flesh that is worthy of me, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. As you bear fruit by my spirit, you bear my fruit. Not on your own, but by my spirit. It's easy to forget about the mighty God that we serve, how personal he is with each and every one of us, how he's orchestrating things that he's putting together around us. When we lend ourselves to him and his spirit, the way that he's able to do that, Though it ain't always in our time. Matter of fact, it's probably never in our time. And it's never in quite the way that we would want to do it. Because we always want to take a hold of it ourselves and orchestrate it or do it the way that we think it ought to be done. And But that's a fleshly desire. You know, when Moses fought the battles that they won, he fought them as the Lord gave to him to do holding his staff up. Moses didn't go down in battle in that field. That's right. But he had his job to do. Sometimes our job that we think that we should be doing is the job that we're supposed to be doing. And I'm sure that Moses felt a piece of him. I led these people. I should be out on that front line. I should be there. That's where I should be. But God's like, no, this is where you need to be. And how many times have we seen that? You know, that if we are all in the right place where God wants us to be doing what He wants us to do, it all works out for the benefit of the kingdom of God. Amen. Bless the Lord.